in this episode. We are the 80s kids and we predict the future. It's it's sustainable as a business or it's not. We were quite successful and, and, and this baked our noodles. But uh, for the purposes of pedantry, I win. <laughs> you've won the jackpot. You, you've made a million bucks at the casino table. Uh, and, and why are you throwing it all in and rolling the dice again? And indeed, we didn't. We did crap. A stunning prediction right up there with our prediction about how dangerous fire can be. Ow. Ooh. Ooh, that smarts. Oh, yeah. So we can win for a double helping of, of bitterness, I suppose. Yes, lovely. Uh, we really need to talk. Uh, it's time for your workplace review. Don't open that Pandora's box. It's just, it's, it's like the end of war games. The only way to win is not to play. Knowing goofiness is great. Absolutely love it. It's top secret. Mm, disturbingly creepy. My entire, entire worldview has been shattered. The man is supposed to be in a position of privilege, and therefore, when he discovers what a crap head he's been, that's funny. It's like what a nightmare it is to be a, this fragile, breakable thing that will inevitably be rejected someday or other. Just to clear up, because this could go on for a long time, this is not a good trend. I'd have to sharpen my sword to perform some kind of Japanese suicide ritual. Ian, you can send me your commiserations now. It is what it is. We proceed onwards. I think we should do it next year regardless. Uh, How did you feel? Did you feel your performance was adequate? I like to think I played my part in the downfall of civilization. That was a bit dumb. Yeah. Hmm... Any other gay pop stars that we can exploit for a quick buck? Apparently the answer is yes. So they got what they wanted, I suppose, so it's hard to complain. You could do anything you want. You can be anyone you want, and it's going to be a wild ride. Ian, we have a problem. What? Back in March, yes, back in March, I I know that it's hard with our senior brains to envision this, but we foolishly made a bunch of predictions about what would make out like bandits at the summer box office, and now the numbers are in and we have to face the music. Are we the pundits who know what's going to make money at the summer box office? Or are we just two sad men on the internet who have no idea what will pull in the big bank at the summer box office? Well, we're about to find out because this is the 80s kids summer review. I am one 80s kid and my name is Leo. And my companion joining me today is... I am Ian. I am also an 80s kid. Uh, Personally, I think, you know, a bumbling old fools on the internet is pretty much our byline, isn't it? Uh, but personally, I- I'm a bit concerned, you know, because if we are wrong, we get the negative noise, which is, sounds like this. Whereas what we want is the positive noise of smugness about our correctness, which sounds like this. And I, I want that noise 
because I have very low self-esteem and I just have to hang on to whatever I can to, to build up some kind of self-validation. I mean, I think I should point out that uh, one, two, two things uh, wrong with uh, filling up a space of uh, confused old men chuntering on the internet. A lot of podcasts follow that exact format, so you know we're we're in a very crowded marketplace. That's that's why we stand out. We did the thing people least expected. We just were exactly the same as everybody else. <laughs> yes, and the other thing, uh, the second thing is that last year and maybe even a bit the year before, uh, we kind of. Att- Attached ourselves to a, uh, a little tagline. We are the eighties kids and we predict the future. So it's not that anything's riding on this except the failure to carry on using that tagline, but we're about to find out whether we do predict the future or not. Well, well, how bad is this going to be? I'd have to sharpen my sword to perform some kind of Japanese suicide ritual. No, no, you're not trying to negotiate Brexit. You're just uh, talking about cinema box office. So, I mean, uh, just to remind people how this goes. There's two parts to the contest. One is which of us successfully identified the thing that was going to make the most money at the box office in the categories. And the categories are comic book, science fiction and fantasy, action, thriller, comedy, family, horror. And then we just have a little thing for things that are weird that are coming out this year. Um, this was mostly occasioned the things that are weird section, that is, by the year that like four biblical epics came up over one summer. But we haven't seen that kind of weirdness again. Maybe one year we'll have another outlier, but uh, that's where we are. We also, so we picked which one we thought was going to do best each. So the winner will get that. There's also the matter of which one actually did do the best. I've put some budget information where there's some remarkable budget news. We also picked a battler and a turkey for the year. And that's sort of an independent assessment, uh, which we'll come to uh, at the end of where uh, battlers and turkeys actually came out in the whole spread. Uh, So to leap straight in with comic book movies, we were quite successful here. We were quite successful in our prediction of what the biggest movie in the comic book genre and indeed in the year and indeed of all time was it's no surprise that avengers endgame uh, stated box office returns are a whopping 2.7 billion dollars a stunning prediction right up there with our prediction about how dangerous fire can be so yes <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. oh it burns um so the, the we did also manage to predict that the next part of the thing would be the other two mcu movies duking it out for being a second banana the avengers and i predicted that spider-man far from home would be the second place uh, Victor, and you predicted that Captain Marvel would be the second place Victor. I am pr- proud to say that Spider-Man still has it. You will see a clue here. $1.1288 billion Spider-Man Far From Home exceeded Captain Marvel's $1.1282 billion. Yes, they were $60,000 apart at the box office. In all practical terms, a dead heat. But uh, for the purposes of pedantry, I win. <laughs> That's Thoughts? okay. Because 
I, well, I, I split it by saying that Captain Marvel wasn't going to do that well, also, relative to a superhero movie. I was actually a bit down on Spider-Man at the time. So, in many ways, I'm doubly wrong here. But that's fine. I'm surprised Captain Marvel has done as well as it has, uh, it has to be said. Because it isn't a superhero that has a lot of impact outside of the coin books. Well, there are a few factors coming into play here. First of all, it was... It came off the back of Infinity War, yes. Yeah, yeah, it came off the back of Infinity War. It was after Ant-Man and the Wasp, which was your fun, light, August MCU helping. And, yeah, basically, we hadn't really had any MCU for a while, and everyone was, you know, jazzed for Endgame. So I think a lot of people went along just to whet their appetites for Endgame. That's cool. The other thing is that I think there's a large community of female nerds who enjoyed the rise they got out of whining man babies. I know this is getting into blancmange territory, but uh, to this day, my YouTube subscriptions or recommendations are cludged with whining man babies saying how Captain Marvel is awful and how it's a disaster and how they should sack that non-smiling blonde woman immediately. And I'm like, dudes, it follows Spider-Man, which everyone really loved, by 60K. Like, in, And we're talking billions here. I mean, it's pocket change. This is a very popular movie. I thought it was fine. Did you see it? Did you see Captain Marvel? I have not seen Captain Marvel. I had the opportunity to do so, but I, I declined. I don't see every single MCU movie. I have never seen that man movie in the cinema, for example. You just catch them later. I will eventually. I will catch Captain Marvel later. Yeah. Uh, as well. Also on, on sort of the culture war, the Blamange war, uh, which you know I, I don't want to delve into, but with Kevin Feige moving over to Star Wars, the rumours are a buzz about uh, Brie Larson moving over to that particularly galaxy far, far away as well. So we can win for a double helping of, of bitterness, I suppose. Personally, it's like, well, look, it's it's sustainable as a business or it's not. I don't think spite, going to see a film out of spite, is a sustainable business model. If it catches on and it has legs, well, it'll just run, won't it? Ant-Man's still going and it isn't exactly pulling in the bank. Well, I mean, Ant-Man does fine. I mean, Ant-Man washes his face. And, and in fact, it's the, in that region where our number four, coming in at number four, Shazam, bringing in $365 million. Now, I'm in a similar position to you with Captain Marvel here. I would have gone to see it, but it was in a crowded part of the marketplace. I mean, honestly, if they'd have bounced it into late August, I might have gone to see it. But then, of course, that might have had a delay. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they could have won with Shazam. Basically, it, it, I, by all accounts, it's a decent movie, but it came sandwiched between Captain Marvel and Endgame. So where did it stand? I mean, stand cer- a certainly it stands, it stands as a nice alternative to all the others. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, DC's policy with, uh, from the Aquaman Shazam region, and indeed, by all accounts, the new Wonder Woman set in the 80s, of being goofy, but in, in a kind of knowing goofiness is great. Absolutely love it. I I mean, the good thing about Joker that's just come out yesterday here in the UK is that it falls outside of our summer window, being as it's being released in October, and so we don't have to talk about it. So we won't. X-Men Dark Phoenix uh, came in next at $252 million, which is deeply fine. That's, That's the performance. And to be fair, to have the last and most unloved of a franchise do deeply fine is no skin off Disney's nose. 
they got a movie that they didn't have to pay for and they released it and it did fine and they don't have to make another one. And now the X-Men are going to the MCU. So cool. Uh, I'm, I didn't watch this mostly because I'm like, I can't justify like seven film visits a year. I, you know, I've got a special pass for MCU or Marvel related stuff, you know, Spider-Man, anything like that like that but x-men is pushing it a bit so i i mean I, the thing is i liked apocalypse yes it was a bit stupid and messy but i thought it was a fine and entertaining couple of hours so i'm sure i'll like this one because i just like x-men movies apart from origins well i don't mind origins until right at the end i'm a fan of the x-men i generally go and see x-men the cinema but i didn't this time i just didn't quite feel it i mean Frustrating to the point, the blancmange is everywhere. There is nothing in our culture that is not touched by the blancmange, which is the culture war that's going on. And it just, it depresses and deflates me because there's, there's things to say, but you just, I just don't want to get into it. It's like, don't open that Pandora's box. It's just, it's, it's like the end of war games. The only way to win is not to play. Yeah, well, I mean, the only thing that people had against uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix is that it was a second opportunity for Fox to fumble the Dark Phoenix storyline. And in fact, in this world of cinematic universes, having the last entry in your X-Men franchise be Dark Phoenix is like, it's no, there's no good, there's no recovering from it. I mean, remember the fuss about X-Men Last Stand? Now people can watch it as a mediocre slice of hokum because they... You know, first class is coming and days of future past. It's in the middle. It doesn't matter that it's not very good. But when the last thing you release is a stinker, then jaws fall all over, you know. 252 million is much better than the new version of Hellboy. I feel sorry for David Harbour. I really do because I don't think he got a fair crack of the whip. People were too, inv- I don't think that the studio behind the this Hellboy reboot were that aware of how badly people would take to them ditching Del Toro and Perlman. I thought they were like, well, both of them are quite old. Del Toro's kind of obscure and Spanish. Um, well, Hispanic. Who's really going to hold it against a new attempt at the character with that guy from that Stranger Things? It's so hot right now. So they dropped $50 million on it and it made $40 million worldwide. It's so, oh dear, ow, ooh, ooh, that smarts, oh, yeah. Um, and then the only other thing we made a comment on in this summer review was the New Mutants, which uh, got yanked. It's not a surprise. Marvel, may, we may never even see this movie, and for the first time ever, when they pull a sort of a genre comic book sci-fi movie, usually I'm like, oh, go on, give it a release date, just put it out there, you never know. Now I'm like, yeah, no, put it on a shelf. Burn it. Forget about it. I don't care. So it's not a big surprise that, that the new mutants got pulled. So that was comic book. So far, so completely unremarkable. SF Fantasy. Now this is always, this is always a bit of a wild card, SF Fantasy, because it's a wild genre. Now, just to remind you, we both, we were in agreement, so we're either both going to be right or both going to be wrong about this. We both decided that Godzilla 2 King of Monsters was going to be the thing that looked as if it was going to make the most money. And in fact, of the things that we looked at, we were both wrong. Godzilla 2 King of Monsters did make a very incredible $386 million on a $185 million budget, uh, but it was beat all out of the park by Elite 
to Battle Angel, which brought in $405 million at the box office in a February release. So, yeah, that's the one to watch, apparently. Um, but yeah, we didn't, we didn't do so good uh, at picking what was going to be top. Uh, and in fact, Elite Battle Angel, uh, pales in, into insignificance again something that you and I would have watched on Netflix, that being The Wandering Earth, which pulled in at the Chinese box office $699 million. But uh, the rest of the world, it got a Netflix release. So I have seen this Chinese science fiction epic. Have you seen it? No. I can't expand upon that answer. In The Wandering Earth, people have decided that for some reason, I can't remember why the earth can't stay where it is so they build get this gigantic jet engines uh, and place them over one hemisphere of the earth and then turn the earth into a gigantic muddy spaceship which will then launch itself into a, a an interstellar journey with all the people living in uh, sort of hydroponic domes upon the earth's surface to take up station in a goldilocks orbit around and another sun somewhere else in the Milky Way. And they're just going to have to be intergenerational. Uh, uh, but the, the Wandering Earth actually takes place on the day that they switch the jet engines on and uh, details uh, a, a problem they have getting on course because they're meant to do like a slingshot around Jupiter or something and then someone drops a spanner into a machine and it's kind of like a cross between a disaster movie and uh, an action movie I mean it's incoherent rubbish I mean it's way out there the Chinese box office absolutely loved it to the point of it currently being in the top 10 films uh, for the year which will probably get knocked out by Christmas but 699 million in dollars when it's not going back to america it's staying in china is a fair amount of dosh uh, but we couldn't possibly have known that and we didn't even have it in the list because it wasn't getting a cinema release anywhere else on the planet uh so there we go you're going to rush back to netflix and watch this movie now aren't you so it's basically it's like titanic but the titanic is the entire planet earth sort of i mean people survive what happens is they have a thing like a disaster where everyone will die unless a plucky band of people pull together to do a thing to save the earth are we towing the moon behind us like a caravan or something uh, i don't believe the moon was mentioned no uh i mean that, that must have been an awkward conversation wasn't it uh, hi, Moon. Hi, how's it going? How's your tides and everything? All going cool? Yes. Yes, lovely. Uh, we really need to talk. Uh, it's time for your workplace review. Well, you know, I've just been there, 28-day cycle, going round and round, waxing, waning, full, new. It's all just the same as usual. So I guess everything's like, well, no, about that. You see, we think it's time for a change. What? You're blowing me up? No, we're not blowing you up. Oh, good. I thought you were blowing me up there for a minute. No, you know, it's just that, there's, oh, uh, red faces all round. So anyway, um, yes, so The Wandering Earth was the thing that actually won in that category. But of our choices that we knew about, Alita won. Then we picked Godzilla, which came in at number three stroke two. After that, it goes down many... Black International made $253 million on a $105 million budget, which is better than it deserved, in my opinion. Although I haven't actually yeah. seen it, but I have heard. And I'm willing to believe what I've heard because actually quite a lot of people were pulling for it and then were disappointed, which always means that what they say is probably truer than if they went out to find fault with it. 
Following Men in Black, we have all the littlies. Ad Astra, which technically is still in the cinema because it got bounced from like May to September. I mean, I think it's not going to do much better than 93.7 million on a 90 million dollar budget. Oh, you've seen it? Well, what do you want me to say? It's, it's kind of like, okay, so there's this astronaut and it turns out. I know what the plot is. It's it's Apocalypse Now crossed with Event Horizon. I know that. No, no, it's just that, it's just that their, their initial plan is like, we want you to send a message to your dad. And so they, it, it's top secret. So they, first of all, send him on a commercial flight to the moon. They send him across a war zone on the moon with all the inherent problems. They stick him on a, fl- on another ship who don't know what his mission is. And he gets into more hijinks with them. And then he finally gets to Mars where he walks into a recording studio and makes a pre-recorded message to send to his dad. Why couldn't he do that on Earth? And just send it to Mars on a courier, and then they transmit it from there. Why did you have to move this astronaut in a very convoluted plan, secret plan, to Mars? And then, of course, they drop him the second they actually make contact with his dad and don't tell him what's going on, leading to him uh, launching a mutiny to seize a ship and go visit his dad himself. I'm just thinking, what's he doing on Mars in the first place? Why did you have to make it such a dangerous, convoluted journey to get there? Because they wanted to do Apocalypse Now. It's actually quite dull, uh, but the, this, this, the spaceship science is quite nice. Okay. Um, so 93.7 million for Ad Astra. Uh, so you'd think that Brightburn only bringing in $33 million would be a bit of a disappointment. But unlike Ad Astra with its $90 million budget, where it has now technically made $3.7 million, although that's, as we understand from Hollywood accounting, a loss, Brightburn had a budget of $10 million. So, cha-ching for Brightburn. It washed its face. Everybody loves Psycho Superman. Well, not everybody, very few. But those that did paid enough money to make it a worthwhile exploit. James Gunn gets to laugh all the way to the bank again, even though he had very little to do with it. Um, I think it's, I think it's good that the fans of the original iteration of the DCU Expanded Universe can still enjoy their Superman. Yes. Um, now, the thing is, that the last one I feel kind of sorry for. Captive State, which got a release in March, got $8.8 million at the international box office on a $25 million budget. Now, this film's been kicked from pillar to post, and I am actually quite keen to see it. I think it will be a good movie. But people... I think the problem is that the reason why it would be good is it will be a good harsh alien invasion satire on our current state of affairs that was made a little way back and so is even more painful at this current time and i i genuinely think one people didn't know it was happening because it's been kicked around the release schedule and two even if they did it's like people aren't in the mood at the moment for biting satire it just isn't the time for it we like Shazam because it's dumb and it distracts us from the hideous realities of everyday life. The last thing we want to do is walk into a film which is going to, you know, eerily mirror the hideous realities of everyday life. And that's where it is. So that's where science fiction and fantasy uh, stayed in this year. Mo- moving on. Action stroke thriller. Did we have an action packed thriller fueled uh, journey through the summer? Did we hell? Thank. Thankfully, none of us picked the informer 
which had a UK-only release, which is why it appeared on my release schedule but didn't appear anywhere else. The Hunt, which got yanked, or The Woman in the Window, which also got yanked. And we only had six films, so 50% of the films that had Film Distributor Association release dates, trailers, and were from major studios this summer, got pulled or were only released in the UK. And in fact... The Sisters Brothers, which we discussed, that was their English release in April. It had already been released in 2018. Well, it was worldwide 2019, so the domestic was 2018. Anyway, the Sisters Brothers only made $13 million, no budget disclosed. We're thinking that probably wasn't enough. Uh, and as all your statements about Westerns and who watches Westerns, completely vindicated by that terrible performance. So, uh, like many action thrillers, uh, after all the weak ones have been picked off, it is only up to the two titans, the T-800 and the T-1000 of the cinema box office, uh, to duke it out amongst themselves. Uh, and in the red corner, the T-1000 of Hobbs and Shaw, uh, spinning off from Fast and Furious, landed a creditable $750 million at the box office and is shows that even if you don't put the word fast and furious i mean maybe if hobbs and shaw had changed their names to surnames to fast and furious we could have had hobbs fast and shaw furious and that would have made even more money but they didn't think of that and so you know it i think in terms of fast and furious franchise things it did relatively a little bit worse but when relatively a little bit worse is three quarters of a billion you can't really moan and that was my pick so i win uh, coming in second was your pick, which was, of course, John Wick 3, Parabellum. This only made $322 million, so like half of what Fast and Furious made. However, I did look at the budget, and the budget for John Wick 3, Parabellum was $75 million. So nobody's crying about its performance at the box office. John Wick 3 is a solid entry in the John Wick canon, and so we can expect John Wick 4 coming along very shortly. Uh, I'm surprised John Wick wasn't more, because it seems to have such a internet cachet, so to speak. I'm surprised it didn't uh, seem to reach wider points. The fact that they didn't put Hobson Shaw in the title, I'm fairly certain in Australia they did. But regardless, I think Fast and Furious is one of those franchises that if you're a fan of, you know it, and so therefore you know Hobbs and Shaw characters thereof. And even if you not, you probably like those actors, so it seems a good pairing anyway even if it was original property. Sure. Uh, but yes, it seemed to, seemed to and have done okay. What was Hobbs and Shaw's budget? Was that dis- disclosed? Uh, I can look it up. Oh, but well done, John Wick, for making a film on a bu- budget, because I do appreciate a film that doesn't s- s- explode $300 million at me. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, um, I mean, I'm sure that it's over the top. I mean, I can't imagine the budget was more than $200 million if it was that, because it's a Fast and Furious movie. They achieved, oh no, the production budget was exactly $200 million. I predict the budget. So, uh, to, I mean, it's actually $756 million on a $200 million budget. It's perfectly fine. Everybody loves it. Uh, but I, I am willing to bet that when I sit down to watch the two of them, John Wick 3 will be more spectacular than Hobbs and Shaw. So, you know, there is that. Well, Hobbs and Shaw is, is a dumb fun movie. And there's nothing wrong with being a dumb fun movie, by the way. No. There's, there's no, valid judgment did you achieve what you set out to be i want to be a dumb fun movie well done you succeeded lots of people were entertained hobson short too please 
Yes. So, they, well, actually, they're going on to Fast and Furious 9 now. But there we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, moving on to comedy. Now, in these last few, uh, well, until we get to, well, in these last three genres, comedy, family, and horror, these are genres that people are kind of putting a lot on on in summer. Family, for, uh, for example, we have to look through like so many films for family uh so i'll run through the list in a minute but comedy was not underrepresented we've got eight movies that were released over the, the summer which could be classed as comedies which were yesterday good boys uh fight of my family little what men want the hustle detective pikachu yes so all of those types of movies were came out uh you predicted that yesterday would do better th- at the box office i predicted that instant family would do better at the box office you won there you yesterday made 142 million dollars worldwide on a 26 million dollar budget instant family which probably had about the same budget because all the comedies seem to have about a 20 million dollar budget i'll go into that in a minute uh made 120 million so i was 22 million behind but we did get two picks that were at the top in the top three one after another but we did not, in fact, pick the comedy winner. The comedy winner in the comedy section was Detective Pikachu, which made $432 million on a $150 million budget and therefore could be considered an outlier. Your thoughts, my friend? We should have picked this as the battler. It's it's strange because you look at you look at the trailer and you think it's some kind of extended sketch for some other program and you think do Pokemon fans actually want a gritty realism detective thing with with Pikachu having the voice of Deadpool? And apparently the answer is yes. So they got what they wanted, I suppose. So it's hard to complain. But yeah, I, yesterday I heard rumbles about that. But of the other films, I haven't heard much conversational rumblings from co-workers and friends and family. But of yesterday, I heard quite a lot. Everyone who saw yesterday loved it. I don't think I'm in the demographic of people who watched the Pokemon movie. No, no, definitely and I not. I'm slightly sad about that. Well, you know, it'll turn up on a streaming service sooner or later, and you know, you just get... the thing is, it's like you say, I don't want to go to a film where I'm not going to get many of the jokes. So you know, because they're all for people who do Pokemon. So there we go. Um, so after that, the rest of it is all right. Now all of these. Uh, have around about $20 million budget, with the exception of the dead last entry, which has an undisclosed budget because it's using wrestling money, which will give you a clue as to what the the box office loser was. Uh, But, yeah, Good Boys, the Seth Rogen movie, made $99 million, so did very well for a $20 million budget movie. The Hustle. Oh, sorry, The Hustle was your pick as winner. Uh, Yesterday was your pick as Battler. So uh we'll come back to that. Yeah, I've just realised he's got Ian in there. So, so in fact, I won in this category, and The Hustle made $95 million, again on a $20 million budget. So even though it is universally agreed to be one of the worst movies that came out this year, The Hustle did okay, you know? Uh, but actually, it has some competition for the worst movie that came out this year, because What Men Want, which was universally... You know, you're, it, it suffered from the exact problem that you said it would, which is that, you know, a man understanding the thoughts of women is funny because the man is supposed to be in a position of privilege and therefore when he discovers what a crap head he's been, that's funny. That's why people love that Mel Gibson movie. But a woman 
dis- discovering what men think. It's that thing from Dirk Gently. You know, a horse can be sat on by a person and the person doesn't think about the horse much at all but the horse having a person sat on it thinks about the person sitting on it all the goddamn time and so it, it there's no surprises in what men want and it was therefore reportedly not very funny still managed to make 72.2 million dollars on a 20 million dollar budget though uh doing s- slightly less well edging into the failure category was little which could also be made mm, disturbingly creepy making 49 million dollars on 20 million budget and fighting with my family which everybody who saw it absolutely loved and this is what you see if you'd have just been listening to what people were saying about movies you wouldn't have pegged this at all but it made 39.1 million dollars probably on a as it was wwe money it was probably more like a 15 or 10 million it didn't do super great but i don't think that was kind of the point of it to a certain extent so it probably did fine uh, but even so Oh, it made the least money of any comedy released this summer. So there we go. So that was comedy, an unusual clutch there. And it does show that in this current time, you can make really bad comedies and still make money at the box office. This is not a good trend. But there we go. Oh, incidentally, on a side note of this exact thing, the absolute gangbusters, this is why we've got so many mediocre comedies. I watched Crazy Rich Asians the other day. You remember that from last year, the one that made unseemly amounts of money? Well, it only gets more unseemly if you've actually seen the damn thing. It isn't bad in the sense of, oh, what a bad movie. It's like, oh, that was a bit dumb. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's two hours later. Mm, there's a the thing. That's how good, and yet it made all the money. So I think that's what they're hoping for. And it's, it's basically comedy is kind of being subjected to the same thing as horror. They're going, People will just about watch anything. It doesn't even have to, as long as it's not one of those movie movies, as long as it's like a romantic comedy or whatever. It's leaving me very disillusioned, Leo. I'm beginning to come to this opinion that perhaps box office results is in no indication of quality. My entire entire worldview has been shattered. I I mean, I think I'm more speaking about the trend that, you know, even when we were in the realms of The Hangover 3, comedies were trying Last year, we had all these weird things like Action Point and Tag, which I've not roused myself to watch, and they didn't do so well. But when, I think when, I mean, they're a little bit behind the curve, because obviously, when you get the box office receipts in, the projects you're working on won't come out for another two or three years. But essentially, expect a bunch of mediocre romantic comedies over the next two summers because of Crazy Rich Asians. And obviously, the one thing they do have control of on the summer after you've got your box office receipts, is how things are advertised. And I think, you know, all of them, this is why I think Little looked so creepy, because they were like, quick, cut the advert to make it look like a romantic comedy. Are you sure? It's about a woman who goes back to being 12. Yeah, yeah, but romantic comedy. But she's 12. Okay, whatever. So, you know, that's the, I mean, probably if you watched it, it it would just be not funny and wouldn't maybe be as creepy as the ad that made it look but they, they're going to go full on tell, I tell you for making things like that and the performance of you know the hustle and what men want and is not going to dissuade them from this course that everything has to look like a romantic comedy now a quirky romantic comedy uh, so family I'm going to have to quickly run through the list of what we're even considering here just so that you're prepared uh, we considered 
the new version of The Lion King, live action, actually just a different type of cartoon. Toy Story 4, Aladdin, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, Secret Life of Pets 2, Dumbo, Lego Movie 2, Wonder Park, Dora the Explorer, The Kid Who Would Be King, Missing Link, The Queen's Corgi, Paw Patrol, Mighty Pups, Peppa Pig Festival of Fun, Artemis Fowl, Playmobil and Spies in Disguise. That was our, that was like literally what we had to pick from. So it would be amazing if we did any good at this selection. And indeed we didn't, we did crap. Just to clear up, because this is, could go on for a long time. Artemis Fowl has been pushed, Playmobil has been pushed, Spies in Disguise has been pushed. Which, unlike the action genre, which was woefully underrepresented, still left a buttload of movies. You picked Lego Movie 2 as a performer. And I picked, oh, we both picked Lego Movie 2. Lego Movie 2 uh, made $191.3 million, which I think is probably a disappointment. I'm pretty sure that the budget for that would not bear out that being a particular result after the popularity of the first one. No. The leader of all, uh, which is, I, I have to admit to being slightly surprised by in a way, is the new Lion King making a massive 1.6 billion at the the worldwide box office but i'm like i mean it wigged me out it it wigged everybody out they're like well it's weird like when you see a cartoon lion singing a song you go with it because it's a cartoon lion when you see a cgi reproduced virtually real lion break into song you're just like that shouldn't be happening and yet, apparently, $1.6 billion worth of box office says, you know, nobody cares. They're quite willing to watch creepy, uncanny valley jungle animals singing big musical numbers. Lion King is a very fondly remembered movie, so I, there was every possibility it could do well, I suppose. But yeah, for me, it was it was the fact that it, it is such a beat-for-beat remake. I've heard the musical numbers aren't as long in this one. It seems a slightly pointless movie, because it's like you couldn't see you, because this is audio only, but you made quotation signs when you said the word live action, uh, which is to denote that it is just another form of animated movie. What are the, what's next, though? What can they do next? Is, is that we're going to have Finding Nemo live, live action. That'll be fun. Oh, good grief. Uh, I don't even want to think about it. Uh, Toy Story 4 came in second, which is actually no surprise, although the fact that it's it made uh, 1.06 billion, so it's quite a way behind Lion King, is a bit of a surprise. I think people were nervous that Toy Story 4 was going to be, how shall I put this, rubbish. And then it wasn't. And that's the amount of money you make when Toy Story turns out not to be rubbish. It's over a billion. So I mean, my, my, my comparison was like, you've, you've, just, you've won the jackpot. You've, you've made a million bucks at the casino table. Uh, and, and why are you throwing it all in and rolling the dice again? That was the, kind of my uh, examination. Why would you want to support yeah, exactly. perfect Well, that's good. a lot of people. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I, I had every anticipation it was going to be fine. I didn't think it was going to be a bad movie. I think it was going to be unasked for. It's going to be like this, that you thought your family was done and all of a sudden your wife's pregnant again. It's like, oh, goodness me. Well, of course we'll raise the child and love it. But in no way is it going to be my favourite. I and mean, that's a totally normal reaction to these sorts of things. But in fact, no, it was like, no, this is actually a creditable addition to the, the, the canon and therefore yes. or well, it's I fine and gets passed. But comes now to, people are deep, heavily... When it comes to the deep analysis of it all, the canon is because it's a very simple premise. Toys come alive. To be serious. Toys come alive and have an independent lives and the toy's greatest function is to be a child's plaything. And they've kind of been essaying upon that. And by the time you get to the fourth film, looking for what other things you can say about this very simple dynamic of your toys come alive when you're not looking at them, it's like what a nightmare it is to be a, this fragile, breakable thing 
that will inevitably be rejected someday or other. I mean, the, the, the nihilism of a toy's existence it must weigh you down eventually. Do to, to we get to this one where basically Woody quits being a child's plaything in order to pursue yeah. his own life? And it's almost like, I'm sure it's a fine movie and it's all very good, but you have also killed the very premise of innocence that the first film had about just being a child's plaything is a good destiny. Oh, well, we all end up in the dustbin yeah. eventually. Oh, well, there we child. Um, well, moving on swiftly from that uh, nihilistic read of the Toy Story universe, Aladdin didn't do too bad, 1.04 billion, uh, which is a bit of a surprise, really. Uh, and people were even surprised that the reason that it made that much money was because it was okay. <laughs> I mean, not okay in that okay, like, oh, it's okay. But, like, it's not absolutely appalling it is actually pretty good so there we go i mean i didn't read that that's why i didn't think i think who wants this i think it's disney business model of re-release of doing remakes but essentially very 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 faithful remakes so people know exactly what they're getting into which i think was the mistake that dumbo did it tried to be real yeah well i think the other thing with aladdin was that as far as i understand it it's more opulent than animated Aladdin, and that kind of appealed to people. So I'm going to watch that in, a, in due course, and I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, so then fourth, How to Train Your Dragon. Fourth one made $519 million, so that's fine for How to Train Your Dragon. There may even be a How to Train Your Dragon. What, where would we be? Four uh, coming out. Are out. these dragons ever going to graduate? Well, unfortunately, we're stuck with the, the, the original film's title before the colons. So, you know, uh, Secret Life of Pets 2 made $429.4 million on an $80 million budget. So Secret Life of Pets 3, totally inevitable. Although, actually, people were quite down on Secret Life of Pets 2. They didn't think it was very good. Trailing on behind this knockoff, because uh, uh, Secret Life of Pets, the Melandry produced, uh, you know, Minions, all that, are well known for being quite a low quality of CGI animation. So the fact that Dumbo came after it making only 350 and desultory 353 million dollars says don't make depressing live action-esque movies about animal abuse i mean you wouldn't have thought they'd need to be a rule about that but disney have now run straight into that rule then comes our lego movie 2 making 191.3 million which is probably not enough for a lego movie 3 even though people said it was perfectly fine uh wonder park uh, made $119.6 million, so quite a way behind Lego Movie 2. But actually, that's not a bad performance for a movie that was supposed to be a tie-in to, to a Nickelodeon show that never got made, got cancelled before it got made. And then they were left with this weird kind of movie thing from Nickelodeon that didn't go anywhere. And eventually they released it in August, even though they were meant to do it early spring, and it just kind of flumped out there. Uh, I mean, it did okay for that. So... Okay. Following that, you see, by contrast, Dora the Explorer made twenty million dollars less, making only a hundred and hundred point five million dollars. But everyone loved Dora the Explorer. Apparently, went to see it. They thought it was amazing, and yet it made less than the unloved, failed pilot kind of thing that came with it. Uh, then there's a really steep drop off. The kid who would be king made thirty two point one million dollars on a fifty nine million dollar budget. I I'm sorry, kid, who would be king. But even as it rose in the cinemas, everybody was saying, I don't think anyone's going to see this. Apparently, it's a nice movie. Uh, it, it steps on one of my, 
my toes that I don't like all the Arthur spin-offs that are not just a King Arthur movie. It's a bit like if you did a Lord of the Rings, modern day, real world Lord of the Rings spin-off, but the Lord of the Rings trilogy didn't exist. You'd be like, well, why not just make the Lord of the Rings? You know, it's exactly that. So, yeah, I can see why people were not keen on that one. Uh, Missing Link, the animation came in at $25.7 million, which sounds fine for an animation. Unfortunately, its budget was $100 million, so ouch. Uh, the Queen's Corgi made $25 million, probably didn't have a $100 million budget, but everybody said that was awful, so good. Um, now, Paw Patrol Mighty Pups and Peppa Pig Festival of Fun did get cinema releases, but only in a limited range of territories. So Mighty Pups got $6 million internationally, but was only released in a a few territories. Whoever was, Nickelodeon again, I think. Whoever was making it anyway was like, we we don't care. We just want to sell the DVDs and put it on television. You know, it was the equivalent of a pay-per-view event, Mighty Pups. Uh, I took the little box to see it he spent 45 minutes enraptured in the world of Paw Patrol so it did its job in the UK cinema release and Peppa Pig Festival of Fun only got released in the cinema in Britain and Australia and New Zealand and across those territories it made 1.5 million dollars but again not the point for the people who made it so they're just there because we mentioned them at the beginning of the summer what a lot of family movies eh Mm. If if they continue to try and pump the family market in years going ahead with these slightly lower budget, you know, and all of this kind of stuff, when little man gets old enough to go to the cinema, we're going to have some packed summers. But uh, I'm wondering whether the pretty poor performance, once you get beyond a certain point here, might get them to rein it in a little bit. And uh, obviously, you know, WB and the Artemis Fowl, they were like, we're not trusting it in this market. Playmobil also probably took a look at Lego Movie 2 and went, not this year. And Spies in Disguise has been made into a Christmas movie. Again, I think they just thought the competition was too hard. And they wouldn't weren't wrong. Our last big category, horror. The, gr- the Grudge remake has been polled and will be now released in 2020. <laughs> uh, it's like, whenever you want, guys. It's probably going to do the same whenever. But yeah, we did have quite a lot of uh, Horror movies coming out this year. We had The Curse of La Llorona, Happy Death Day to You, Us, Escape Room, Pet Cemetery, It Chapter 2 and Ma. They were all coming out this summer. You decided that you thought that uh, big money was going to come in from It Chapter 2. I decided that the big money was going to come in from Us. We did, in fact, for once place the top two. You win. It Chapter 2 made... $388.7 $388.7 million, well, as when I recorded them. I think that was after, well after opening weekend, so that's pretty good. It might be a bit more by now. It had a $79 million budget, so it was the most expensive horror movie in the chart, as you shall find. In fact, by quite some way. So yeah, but you did technically, that's the top of the box office for horror movies. I went for Us, which came in at number two, making $255.1 million internationally on a $20 million budget. So, uh, you know, if you're taking into account budget, it did quite a bit better. Uh, But we're not, so you win. After that, we don't care, really, because we've picked our first two and we got them at the top, so it's not too bad. We have Escape Room made $155.7 million on a $9 million budget. It made a lot of money. We can expect Escape Room 2. 
The Curse of La Llorona made $122.1 million, again, on a $9 million budget. So, unfortunately, we can probably expect more of that, even though it was reputedly complete bobbins. Pet Cemetery. We're not going to get another one of those because even though it made 112.4 million on a 21 million dollar budget, it got beat out by Escape Room and The Curse of La Llorona. Uh, you know, two completely mediocre, fresh properties. Whereas this is a Stephen King adaptation. And look, Stephen King at the top, it chapter two, 388. It's just not worth it. The sums don't work out. So no more Pet Cemetery. Thank gosh. Happy Death Day to you. Uh, washed its face. 64.2 million dollars on a $9 million budget. I mean, these things make money. And so as a sort of ironic in-joke of the horror cinema world, I think it did as they expected it to do. So that's fine. I wouldn't even class out a straight-to-DVD Happy Death Day 3D. Oh, my God, I've just titled it. Oh, oh no. <laughs> They're going to do it, aren't they? Happy Death Day 3D. No, it's obviously going to I don't know, 3D is expensive. They probably won't. And then finally, we have Ma, which made $60.6 million on a $5 million budget. So, you know, uh, even the the least performance. This is the thing. Horror is always the place. So uh, there we go. That is the actual list. So to review, we got the top two right in horror. Uh, you won. We came nowhere close on family but who was going to uh we got the positions two and three on comedy we couldn't see that pokemon coming out of the left um suddenly a pokemon movie appeared anyway yes uh we got the top two in action thriller i won uh we got the well of the ones we considered two and three position um for sf fantasy i uh yeah that's right um and oh no because one of them i thought it was Admit you, but it wasn't. You went down for the hustle. So in fact, only I won out of comedy because of the actual picks. But I only got the number three choice, uh, although you picked a battler. Uh, SF Fantasy, we did that, and then uh, comic book, we did fine. So to be fair, we did fine. The only place where we really screwed up was in the absolute massive morass of family movies that we couldn't possibly have picked properly. So not too bad. When we come to Battles of Turkeys, let's do turkeys first, because they're easier. I picked Men in Black International as my turkey. And indeed, it made $253 million on a $105 million budget. Uh, I've made the mistake of not actually writing down the budget of Dumbo, which was your pick. Disney don't always disclose budgets. No, they don't always disclose budgets. I would have thought, though, there'd be a bit of pressure on them this year because they basically own the top ten. Well, they own everything. Yeah, I know. It's, it's nuts. Um, so while we're waiting for that to come in, oh, where's budget? 170 million, apparently. So Dumbo only made, uh, only, uh, only made 353 million dollars on a 120 million dollar budget. That's a pretty big turkey. It's like half, whereas mine was less than half. So of the two turkeys we picked, neither of them were the real turkeys of the year, but um, I won of those two. But yeah, we've got what? Ad Astra only pulling in 3.7 million above. And of course, poor old Captive State uh, taking uh, only 
40% of its budget at the box office. Yeah, there were some real poor performers out there. Uh, and it's not a surprise that I think Captive State easily takes it away. Even though Hellboy only made $40 million on a $50 million budget, making $8.8 million on a $25 million is definitely worse. So Captive State, I think, takes our turkey because it's the only clear turkey that is definitely losing all, all the dollars uh, here. So that's it. So moving on to the more rarefied problem of battlers, your battler was, of course, yesterday, which made a creditable $142 million on a $26 million budget, which is cool. But I picked John Wick 3 Parabellum as my battler, which made $322 million on a $75 million budget. So again, I got, of the two of our picks, my battler battled harder than your battler, but obviously the real battlers were all in horror. You know, 60.6 on a $5 million budget, 155.7 on a $9 million budget. The battler of the year, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely has to be Escape Room, which has made crazy bank for the amount of faith the studio had in it. Nine million dollars pays off very handsomely. If you're investing in that movie, you're probably laughing all the way to the bank. Well, uh, well I think if you're going to have, you know, our, our battle rules are going to have to be adjusted, I think, that we're always going to have to go, well, the battle's going to be a horror movie. It's going to be a horror movie made for virtually no money whatsoever. And if it, if yeah. it makes 50 million, it's made 10 times its budget. So, yeah. uh, Technically, it's still not a hit. I mean, I always feel the thing about a battler. I mean, yes, budget's important. I do appreciate a low-budget film. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's, it's. I think we've got, we've got to find some sort of definition of. It well, reached notoriety. It did not expect. Like Alita Battle Angel, perhaps, could be described as a battler. To some yes, Alita Battle Angel. Even though Alita Battle Angel probably has. I mean, you know, let's have a look at. Uh, let's uh, pull out the thing. Alita Battle Angel. They didn't, didn't get a huge amount of press, but they got a lot of good word of mouth. I, I, you're absolutely correct about that. So, but the budget probably classes out of being. Because the Battler, uh, yeah, two hundred million budget. Uh, so I mean, although it doubled well, its box office, budget, yeah, yeah. It, even though, um, yeah, I mean, the technical definition that, that we came up with for Battler is performed way in excess of the budget it was given. So the horrors do count. Um, well, I'm not saying they don't, but I'm just saying from now on, I'm just going to go. It's, what's the lowest budget horror movie we got here? doesn't matter yeah. how bad it is. Yeah, what you're saying is that we reserve a place for horror movies out of the battler space. That is somewhat similar to if they release an Avengers movie. We don't even bother saying that's not going to be the number one superhero movie. And I think that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we are 80s kids and we predict the future credentials are mostly intact. The the only time that our prophecy, our, our, our powers of prophecy become seriously tested is when you get a whole bunch of franchise cartoons, like over 10 releases over a six-month period, and go, which one of these is going to do best at the boss office? You go, can't really pick it, to be honest. Who knows well, what them crazy got, kids are going to want to see? Got that, um, we've got that thing of, like, your kid isn't old enough to be into all the franchises. He's into his very young person's franchises, and I've got no kids. Yeah. I live with my niece. But, you know, she went to see Door of the Explorer. She enjoyed it. But, you know, it was it was very much... She enjoyed it because it was nothing like the cartoon. And that, for her, was the selling point. That was quite interesting. It's like Dora the Explorer, for kids who grew up on Dora the Explorer, but are now a little bit older. And in retrospect, I think that's a little bit shrewd. 
Yes. So uh, the only thing we have left to do is look at our notable things. And then what was notable was we had a couple of biopics sprinkled in there. And clearly it was like Bo Rap came out. People were like, well, people kind of like Bo Rap, won a lot of Oscars. Let's see what we can do here. Uh, and so we had Tolkien and Rocket Man. Uh, and Tolkien, despite having, I mean, had a staggered release out in the UK first and then out internationally a bit later on, it had a $20 million budget and it made $7.8 million at the box office. Ooh. So, yeah, that's in Turkey territory right there. But it wasn't really a genre movie. Uh, it didn't have the support of the Tolkien family. Obviously, that is the final nail in this brief fad of a uh, biopic being in the big box office. Oh, no, wait. Rocket Man had a $40 million budget and made $194.4 million at the international box office. So it turns out uh, fusty old writer biopics, uh, no, Rocket Man, uh, or like pop star, gay pop star biopics, Absolutely banking. Well, absolutely banking. People like the music, and we've ha- we've had the Freddie Mercury f- uh, thing of the year. So there's yeah, this Bo kind Rat, of, yeah. So, but then it, but that's lots of that's lots of jolly music that people know, and people like music that they know. Whereas Tolkien, at the end of the day, it's him sitting down and writing a book and doing. Some Actually, it's, it's not, not even that because it's a prequel to him even writing the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, or it was the beginning of a trilogy. Oh, yeah, sorry. whatever. I don't know. Tolkien, The War Years, followed by Tolkien, Typewriter, followed by Tolkien, Notebooks with the Other Footnotes in. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, um, so the, the question I think that Hollywood is asking at this point, after Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, is any other gay pop stars that we can exploit for a quick buck? Uh, I think having covered Freddie oh, Mercury and Liberace as well. Uh, yeah, they did Liberace uh, first, but he wasn't really what you might call a pop star. But I'm, I'm now, are you, what you've ma- managed to do, you t- tipped in my head as you said the word Liberace, and I don't know why they said, but I think it was possibly the fact that we're just talking about it generally. We are going to get a George Michael biopic within the next two years, guaranteed. You've got to have faith. You, yeah. Oh, and that's what it's going to be called. Oh, faith, the George. George Michael's story. There we go. We're doing Hollywood's job for it. You realise that? Happy Death Day 3D and Faith the George Michael story. I like to think I played my part in the downfall of civilization. Yes. Uh, so there we are. Um, so as you've seen now, we've been through the box office. We are certified uh, uh, profits with a fairly good success rate. Uh, so therefore, it's definitely worth you tuning into our review next year if such should happen for our prophetic abilities are merely confined to the world of summer box office. So we don't even know at this stage whether we're going to be able to finish posting the series you're about to hear due to the fact that's my job and I live in the UK. So, you know, Ian, you can send me your commiserations now. But yes, if people want to uh, tell me to, uh, well, have a little faith, the George Michael story, uh, and that things are going to be okay in the end, Ian, where might people go to send me such a uh, rousing uh, messages of good fortune and health. Well, one place you can send your food parcels for Leo to sustain himself on as the as the UK civilization collapses would be our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as a number, so 80s. Uh, please go there and like our page. We will okay, we will put comments there, I promise you. It's a thing that we do. But uh, the podcast is what it's all about, and listen to this one, so you probably want to go find some others, assuming you haven't found it in the place you're listening to. In which case, you want to go to the 80 
www.blogspot.com. That's the 80s kids as in letters. So, uh, yes, please go there. And there is a complete archive of all our shows ever. So starting from the next show as well, you will also be able to find a link uh, back and forth uh, from trashmutant.com, where uh, for the main run of the, the show, I will be producing articles that go along with the show that you're listening to uh so there we are um and that that essentially is our, all the news that's fit to print from this uh, box office review i feel that this summer was sort of as expected but with a couple of curveballs um which you know when you're a prophet a curveball is a bad thing uh, but I don't think that they were significant. I think they were just there. Uh, how did you feel? Did you feel your performance was adequate? Uh, it's always nice if you can do better. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of surprising what didn't really work as well as you thought it was going to do. Like the Lego Movie, not really. Yes. Because that's, yes, that's Lego movies generally very feel good and funny, and it, it just seems like everyone outgrew the from the first one. Everyone just felt it was a bit old. But at the same time. Disney is trotting out pretty much old and familiar. I mean, the main criticism of the Star Wars movies, the first one, was that it was just a remake of Star Wars. It's exactly the same thing. And Disney right now seems to be churning out the same stories again with a fresh lick of paint, and people seem to be lapping it up. And at the end of the day, bums on seats are what counts, so I can't criticise their business model, their creativity model, certainly, but in terms of shareholders, I'm sure they're pleased. Well, they were. This is the week. Uh, we're recording this in which Martin Scorsese was uh, heard to remark that superhero movies or comic book movies were not cinema they published this in the Guardian I put a comment underneath saying no true Scotsman dot 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 because what a ridiculous thing to say but obviously I think Martin Scorsese is bright enough to know that when he says something like that you know that's he's saying it for effect he's uh, like he's what he's really doing is masking a question are they cinema hmm? To which the answer is yes, Martin, they are cinema, just not your sort of cinema. Yes. All cinema is a ride. You just sit in the seat and it happens at you. Yeah, but I think there's the other thing is that um, I'm famously, uh, to people who listen to this podcast, so not famously... Uh, averse to Oscar bait movies I don't really like them I don't I think that it has to be more of a movie to me in the sense of generic entertainment than like, I don't like movies that are blatantly going out for award season Martin uh, Mr Scorsese sorry but I don't I don't like that where yes it's fine it has a place for cinema to be an art form for filmmaking to be an art form I, I don't object to that theory at all but what i find interesting I mean this is one of the things I've got a lot of people who are a bit like oh I don't like those Marvel movies oh Marvel movies they're all the same one they're not all the same I mean you know demonstrate they straddle genre in a kind of weird way but the other thing is the reason you're saying they're all the same is because they're all part of the same artistic endeavour so obviously they're all going to have common things that tie them together and in fact for those people that like them that's the point who else has done a 20-movie franchise over a decade that has been as successful? No one. And the point is that I think people who don't like them think that they should be separate movies, whereas people who love them a lot are aware that they're not separate, but they kind of are. As much as box office is no indication of quality, it is an indication of, of, of popularity. One of our major frustrations in life when we were doing our podcast on its first run was the fact that Transformer movies were huge, and they were utterly awful. And, and, and this baked our noodles. 
But at the same time, it's like, well, they make money, so what can you do? We can only shrug and take the piss out of Michael Bay. Uh, and it's the same it's the same with the Marvel movies. You may not like the Marvel movies, but they get people in. One, one of the reasons that Star Wars is ripe for kicking right now is because it is dying. It is a, it is a dying brand. And I say that as someone who loves it. it it's going to possibly pop off for a good 10-year rest, and maybe that would be the best. But that is the only reason I feel that my criticism should be in any way listened to because it is a deflating series. I can't do the same for Marvel. I, I could sit here and perhaps do an episode where I rage endlessly about Captain Marvel. Pointless. Made a billion. Shut up, Ian. People are happy with it. So, fair enough. Yeah. You know? If, yeah. if, if it's got fans, it's not for me to say. It's like Twilight. It's got, it had its fans. It's not for me to say. Yeah, my final comment on that is that I saw some video the other day fearing the commentator was fearing that as, as Spider-Man's got two appearances in the MCU. So obviously the third, a Spider-Man home, home base. He goes to do some DIY, something like that, I don't know. Um, so obviously that's going to be one. And then another appearance, which they don't know what it is. And so they were fearing that they might put Spider-Man into Captain Marvel to shore up that ailing franchise. I'm like, $60,000 difference in box office. Captain Marvel doesn't need Spider-Man. So, yeah, that's my final thought, final, final thought, and we must really get on and uh, get on with next year's summer or whatever it is we're going to do next now. It is what it is. We proceed onwards. I think we should do it next year regardless, you know, because uh, I do enjoy these prediction shows. Uh, I don't enjoy being wrong, but it's always nice thrill of trepidation about making it. It's our best format, definitely. So maybe we should predict some more things. What are we predicting to be on next week, Leo? I think I think we're pr- pretty much the perfect format. Definitely going to do these at least next year, which is definitely true. Yes. Okay. Uh, so until next time, uh, farewell. Uh, goodbye. Daddy, I'm Iron Man. Yes, Iron Man's Hogbuster is up there. And and my game up there. My game. Uh, D- Dylan, can I just goodbye.